podcast, showing you how to reignite the embers of a distant and lonely relationship into a blazing, emotionally intimate connection. I'm your host, Amber Dawson. I'm a psychologist, author, and speaker. A few of my favorite things are my husband, grapes, and my adorable little dog, Riggs. Now let's learn how to create a soul crush in love that lasts. Hit subscribe in your podcast app so that simply by listening, you can rekindle your relationship by pouring a little gas on your relationship ember. This podcast is for informational purposes and should not be misconstrued for specific relationship advice. For advice for your specific relationship, seek a local couples therapist for relationship counseling for couples therapy. I am so excited to have a guest back. We have Liz Lacey with us again, who is doing a follow-up to episode 73, How Sex Becomes Compulsive or Addictive with Liz Lacey. And today we are talking about the impact of betrayal trauma. She is a licensed clinical social worker, advanced certified schema therapist, trainer and clinical supervisor, member of the Sexuality and Attachment Trauma Network in New York City, and she trains internationally on addictions. She's been working with sexual addictions and personality disorders since the mid-1990s, and I am just delighted to have have her here with us again. So welcome to the show, Liz. I'm really curious. One of the things I want to know before we dive in to all the things betrayal trauma, what has been the hardest part for you as the helper working in betrayal trauma? Well, um, uh, first it's, it is, it's fantastic to be back. Um, you know, I think that probably the hardest thing in working with uh, betrayed partners is that when they come in, when they first come in and they've just discovered what's been going on in their life, they are completely shattered. Um, and if I use that word, people usually really identify with it. They're in so much pain. They don't know which end is up. They don't know what's real and what's not real. I think it's just, it's so hard to help them contain and live with the amount of pain they're in. I'd say that's probably the the toughest part. That is a very so, hard part. I relate to that. Yeah. That, that shattered feeling that they have. And uh, you yeah. feel that with them for the time you're you're with them as well. You you definitely do. Yeah. And and there's and there's, you know, at the very beginning, there are no clear answers. Mm-hmm. You know. Yes. It's a because it it's People are going through, usually after discovery, it's like the sudden death of their relationship. That, that's what it's like. That no matter how long they've been together, usually that's what people experience. Right. Because they feel like, do yeah. I even know this person? This is not the relationship exactly. I thought I had. They question everything they thought they ever knew. Everything. everything even things that may not even may be fine and not have been touched by uh addictive behaviors still everything is in question yeah so can you define for us what is betrayal trauma sure um in in really simple terms it's a harsh violation of trust by someone you depend on. That's the way I, that's why I would describe it. 
Yeah. So harsh a violation of trust by someone you depend on. And that, like, that makes sense. And then I guess, like, when that trust is violated, it can be very blindsiding. So what are some of the more common yeah. ways then that we might see that harsh violation that leads to that shattering? Um, so the term betrayal trauma actually came in with uh, like sexual abuse and physical abuse and, and lots of other things. It's more commonly used now when there has been some kind of repeated infidelity happening uh, within a relationship. So now it's, it's used a lot in the, the intimacy disorder or sex addiction field for a partner who's been betrayed repeatedly in multiple ways. So um, it, it could be uh, you just found out that your partner's been seeing sex workers for the last 15 years of your marriage and that every one of those business trips that that person was on, they actually would see a sex worker during that time. Or all those hours of work at the office was actually cyber chatting with anonymous sex partners at work. And that, that delay to your wedding day was actually your partner at home uh, on a pornography site. You know, things like that, right? Just shatter your sense of reality. You know, and, you, and with betrayal trauma, it is usually repeated traumas, which is different than it's, it's not that you're not going to feel traumatized by an affair. Of course, somebody would feel traumatized by an affair, but it doesn't quite have the shattering element to it. it there's a way to understand it and kind of get your head around it, which there isn't if you just found out the person you've been living with has had 40 or 50 or 100 different sexual partners in the last 15, 20 years. So, you know, I would say those would do it. Yes. Well, that makes perfect yeah. sense. And, and yeah. what would be some of the symptoms that other than the shattering that someone might experience if they're having yeah. uh, that reaction, that they've gone through that harsh betrayal of trust? So I'm, I'm glad you asked that. And this is what really many people with betrayal trauma fit the category of PTSD because partners will have lashbacks of all kinds of things like remembering when their partner, for the sake of this interview, by the way, I'll, I'll, I'll really talk more about women being the partners and men being the, the addicted people or the, the, people who are having the affairs, but it, it can be any compilation of people, um, any compilation of genders, of course. So they'll have flashbacks of their husband on uh, a computer. Uh, they'll remember when they were on the phone. I mean, flashbacks, which cause feelings of panic, like what happens when somebody's gotten into bad car accidents, that level of hypervigilance and startle response and nightmares about what's happened and what they've discovered. Um, the hypervigilance can look like even um, 
just feeling propelled into looking at the person's email, uh, looking through their mail, checking all their phone call records. Now, some of that is actually necessary for recovery from this, right? Access to electronics and so on. But there's a compulsion to do it, right? Because this is fear. If I don't do this, he's going to do this again to me. And I've, I've got to get some control over this or I feel like I don't know what's going on, which is of course completely understandable. I think what you said there is very important. Like there's people do feel compelled to check emails, phones. Yeah. And I have some people say like, I don't, I'm not this person. I don't want to be this person. Yes. Why am I doing this? And they, they are, feel so torn. They don't want to be the person that checks, but they feel right. like they can't stop themselves from checking. That's right. And, and, the, and the way like when I'm working with someone, the way I just try to help normalize that behavior. Now, granted, if that's still, if, if that's still, if the couple's still together and that's still happening five years from now, the treatment is going to be different than at the beginning. That first year is, is difficult, but to make sense of that, if something horrible, just, if, if you were just, uh, you know, let's say uh, electrocuted, right? By plugging in a lamp, let's say. Anytime you go near a lamp or anything that looks like a wire, you are going to be hyper-focused on making sure you don't touch it. You, you just, you, you, you approach it in just a certain kind of way right? You stay away from it when, when is necessary, right? We're going to go into a survival mode. And that's what's happening with the checking, with the hypervigilance. It's you don't want this to happen to you again. So that's why all the checking behavior, it feels so compulsive and out of control. The terror is is just horrible that people go through. They can't sleep at nights. I, oftentimes people have to go on some, some kind of anti-anxiety medication for a little while, particularly if they're trying to stay in the relationship, right? Because at the beginning, it's all been discovered and there's no way to know, is this person going to stop doing this or not? So I hope that answers that question. Yeah, absolutely. Um, does okay, good, right. and and there's some there's something about it, which is different than a regular trauma, which is that it feels intentional, right? It feels like a sense of this person I depended on didn't give a crap, just did it without regard to me at all, um, and there's usually lots of gaslighting that went on over the years about where they were and if they were ever questioned about, hey, you seem awfully close to so-and-so. And, you know, that gets turned around on them as if they're the crazy ones. So all of this stuff comes flooding back when there's a discovery. You know, so there's, there's an awful lot to recover from. Absolutely. Okay. So you said something yeah. just a second ago about how, yeah. um, in particular, they might 
be feeling anxious if they choose to stay. Um, yeah. Which makes me think, yeah. so you're with a partner, you've, you've had this betrayal trauma. What yeah. are some of the factors that people are typically thinking about when they're wondering, should I stay or should I go? Yeah. Um, so usually, they're, they usually when people come in, they are locked in ambivalence. One, this is the person, let's say, if the relationship has been going on a long time, let's say they're married 20 years, as opposed to they've been together six months, right? The prognosis for those two are different. Um, like a shorter relationship, if that had been happening, oftentimes the partner will just leave and say, I'm, I can't, I'm not dealing with this. But in a marriage where there's children, there's history, the family together, right? when you get divorced, when you leave, you're, you're leaving a lot. So it's not such an easy decision. Um, so, sorry, I missed, what, what was your question? Um, what are uh, some of the factors that play in when the people factors, are thinking, should right. I stay, should I go? Stay or should I go? So the first questions I get are usually, is it really an addiction? Is this person just narcissistic? Can they stop doing it? Is there real recovery? how will I know if he's recovering or not? Like that is the big, that's probably the biggest question. How will I know if he's really recovering? How will I know that he won't do this again? And the, the truth is, and this is also one of those moments as a therapist, you, you know, my heart breaks for people. There's, there's no guarantee that he won't. But there are signs that he's heading in the right direction. And one of those signs is after, after the discovery is if he is he himself, you can see he's traumatized by what he's done to you, right? He is upset. He is torn apart. He can't believe he's done this. Uh, he wants to seek out help. He right. He he wants to go to the. You want him to go for treatment. He also wants to. Right. He's not dragging his feet. He's going as often as he can. He joins a group. He might even join a, you know, a twelve-step program that deals with this. But that you see a lot of effort goes into it and is, this is the key, sustained. It's not just I'm doing this because I got into trouble. It's I know the problem is mine. And there's a lot of empathy being expressed for what his partner is going through. So those are, the, those are some of the signs where, okay, maybe this can turn around. It sounds like what you're describing is the, the person who's done the betraying, you know, yeah. they have, although they were doing it all these years, they've come to the realization that they really hurt their partner. They, they also see yes. the problem. They are remorseful. They're taking accountability and yes. they're like, let me, let me show you. You're not having to tell them you have to go work on this. They're like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go work on this. And it's going right. on over time, not just at the beginning, not just right. in the acute phase, but months and months nope. later, they're still actively working on it. Right. A year later, they are still doing it. And you're watching that they're changing, right? These are also some of the signs is all of a sudden, this person who really, and 
generally partners will, will tell you that, yep, I didn't realize how distracted he was. That level of distraction that comes with a behavioral addiction starts to slow down. And all of a sudden, he's more present in his family. And he's showing up for the kids and you. And he he takes an interest in the finances of the family, for better or for worse. He's like he all of a sudden he starts to really take an interest in what is going on at home. So you start to see those kinds of changes too. Emotionally, he's more present for you. Mm -hmm. So we've got kind of like the things that be indicative of staying. What are some of the yeah. warning signs that are like, oh, this yeah. is so good that are indicative of maybe the chances are less good that this is actually going to stop and it's worth, worth saving. Hostility and defensiveness after three months. I'm going to say I, we'll, we'll give the person to adjust. We'll give them like 90 days to kind of adjust to this idea that he's got to recover, that this is all his, that, not, that he's got to really own this. After that point, defensive like a lot of defensiveness or not really consistently going to his groups right not not being seen at home doing the work reading the books trying to make amends like a what i would call sort of a living amends to the family showing up are the are the bad signs it's almost like the opposite of what you see as the good signs are going to be the bad signs also at the beginning, the beginning of treatment, the betrayed partner generally with therapists will set up what are called boundaries. And the, and the boundaries are gonna be taken from all the areas where the partner feels very triggered into this betrayal trauma. So for example, if if him being on the phone is a, is a trigger, right? Really is very upsetting. There's this visceral response. So maybe one of the boundaries is no being, no being uh, texting while at home, right? When you get home, I want you to put the phone away. Right? That's a boundary. Otherwise I can't feel safe. So there's going to be a list of things to help keep the betrayed partner feeling safer. So at the very beginning with a therapist, you're going to work on what that list is to feel better so that the betrayed partner doesn't have to feel like they have to manage this all themselves. If he violates those boundaries repeatedly, it's a very bad sign, right? So he gives her the password to his email and he keeps it there and then he keeps changing it for some reason. Bad sign, right? Uh, she wants him to have a dumb phone because the smartphone is where he ended up hooking up with so many people. She just wants him to have a dumb phone for a, for a while till she feels better and he refuses to do it. He makes a lot of excuses, but he won't do it. So those kinds of things, if he's not willing to go to any lengths, there's probably a problem. Something in this yeah. last phase that I was curious about, you said after the first yeah. few months, we want to give them some time to adjust. So yes. I guess one of the trends I've noticed in 
infidel, like just infidelity, not repeat yeah. is sometimes it takes right. them a, a little bit to adjust to like that they've been caught almost. And there is a period where maybe there's a little bit of lying still going on, or there's a yes. little bit of defensiveness. And, and then in my experience, that starts to change at, at a period where they, where they seem to get it like, oh, Yep. Like I'm no longer living a double life and that goes away. Could you, you talked about being about three months. Could you yes. speak to that a little bit more? And, and if that's typical or how come you said three months? It, because it, it typically three, four months, sometimes six, but better for the betrayed partner. If it's three or four months, there's def. you know, when I first, you know, in the, the other end, if I see an addicted person, I, I, pretty much know those first few months, I'm not even getting the whole story as the therapist. So it takes a few months to really start to talk about everything that had been going on. So they are going to still hold back certain details that they think are going to get them into trouble. Also, People with this kind of problem usually feel very ashamed of what they've done. So there's a lot of shame there that they don't want their partners to see them in that light. I know it's <laughs> uh, it's it's one of the things that angers betrayed partners because it's like, well, why didn't you ask for help five years ago? It's because they were living this double life and they're only half conscious of what they were doing usually. So really that's, uh, it takes, a, you're right, it takes a little while until they adjust to this idea that the wall is down, we can see you, it's going to be much better if you just talk about what's happened, right? That being said, there's there's something there's a process that, that you want to go through if you're a betrayed partner, which is a disclosure process where he really puts together the answer to every question that you have on the betrayal and sits down with the therapist and goes through all the questions at one time and if if anyone's listening to this who's been through betrayal trauma um and you want to take one thing out of this it's it's this staggered disclosure is terrible for betrayal trauma and what i mean by that is so you find out this thing happened and you know this portion of it and then he doesn't see a therapist or you don't see a therapist in a month from now, you find out another portion of it. That's another hit. Another month from then, another piece of it. That's considered staggered disclosure, which is almost a guarantee the person's going to end up with some kind of post-traumatic stress. And that's what you want to avoid. Doing it all at once with a therapist ends up being it's it's rough to go through but the outcome's much better when you say all at once do you mean like in one eight hour day or like a number of 
50 minute sessions over a few weeks. What do you mean by that? I mean, in one day. So the, possible, there's a, yeah. if possible. So what happens is the, uh, in, in the field of intimacy disorders or out of control sexual behaviors, there's a process by which, so the offending partner, right? The, the addicted partner goes into treatment um, and that first X amount of months, they start to work on a written disclosure of from the beginning of the relationship through discovery, right? Everything that's, everything that's happened that's relevant um, and that's important to tell their partner. Then they come together with the therapist of the addicted partner and the therapist of the partner, and they do a disclosure together. I can see how that'd yep. be really helpful. It's super helpful. It helps give the couple a somewhat clean slate, providing he's has some traction in recovery and he has stopped the behaviors. It's like, okay, I know everything, right? Now I know even, even all the lies he told me, everything. Well, I think right. the, the thing is the certainty is better than the uncertainty. And we think the Absolutely. uncertainty is protecting people sometimes, but knowing it's, no, is better than not right. knowing. Yes, absolutely. Particularly when you know, I mean, Amber, you probably know this, right? When you know half the story, you're going to fill the rest of it in. And usually once you're traumatized, it's going to be the worst case scenario. So it is better to know the facts. So that's, that's, that is usually a big help. I guess I'll caveat that with, is there anything you wouldn't tell the betrayed partner? Yes. Um, certain details, I do, right, we generally recommend that they don't need to know. So for example, you don't, you don't need to know names of, of people because anytime if, right, if, uh, if, if I went and I had an affair with someone named Mary, every time that name is heard, right? You're going to think that you think you're, that name is going to, you're going to think, is that the person, right? The names don't matter. The only exception to that is if somebody was having some kind of sexual relationship with someone known to the betrayed partner that has to be disclosed because again that would be very traumatic for the betrayed partner otherwise um so that uh specifics specifics about sexual behaviors usually gets left out unless it's something important to the partner for some reason but the, the therapist who's familiar with this should know whether is this an important uh, detail or is this just going to hurt the person over the long run? Articles of clothing worn, you know, oh, she had a red dress on. They're not really relevant to the betrayal and they could end up traumatizing the partner. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah. Perfect sense, yeah. So it's like okay. you want to know as much as possible about like the, how long it's been going on generally, what you've been doing, any questions right. you have around it, but there's a couple of things that can do more harm than good. There's not a lot of them yes. that can do more harm than good, but there's a couple right. that you just want to be really thoughtful about. 
absolutely and talk through right again if you're working with a betrayed partner really talk through um like how will that help to know and you know uh and so go through each one of those things one of the things sometimes a betrayed partner will do accidentally is not see their own therapist um because they'll be so angry at their partner that why should I have to do therapy, right? They're the ones that betrayed me. It's their problem. They're the sick ones. That's true. But if you were the if you were in the car and he was driving, you were both went through the car accident together, right? So if you both went through the car accident together, like you need treatment too, even though it wasn't your fault. Yes, yes right. Such a good one. So let's talk yeah. about treatment then a little bit. So you're talking about each person yeah. getting their own treatment. How do you know if yep. couples therapy would be a good match for this uh, couple or not? Yeah, uh, good question. Um, so oftentimes people want to go into couples therapy right away. I almost always recommend that they don't, not right away. Because imagine you're going in order to do any kind of real couples counseling, there's got to be some kind of sense of trust, right? You're going to be, there's got to be some kind of sense of trust in order to do couples counseling. And if there's no traction or recovery yet for the betraying partner, couples therapy becomes a minefield because lying is still going on. There's still a little bit of gaslighting going on um, and withholding, and it makes couples counseling an unsafe place. Right? Once some traction happens, and let's say, you know, four to six months into treatment, then is usually a much better time or right after disclosure. If you're gonna do, go over to disclosure, that's a great time to start couples counseling because now you know everything yeah what would be the difference in starting couples therapy after like a repeat infidelity or repeat sexual addiction versus regular infidelity or it's not repeat um so regular infidelity even if it's one or two affairs if you're talking about a behavior that Granted, it's an impulsive behavior, right? Going and using that as a way of fixing your relationship or whatever's going on in your life is one thing. A compulsive behavior is something else. If the person is has this kind of obsession and compulsion, it's not very easy to stop. An affair is a different story. Yeah. So like if someone had an affair, then they'd be able to end. And as long as the person who had the affair was able to end the relationship and they're choosing to be yes. with their partner and they're going to choose couples therapy, it's over, then it might be easier to start couples therapy sooner. Whereas if you're in Absolutely. a relationship with someone who's got an addictive behavior, you might've found out what part of addiction is that compulsion, that inability to stop loss of power of choice. And because they have that, right. that's where the treatment comes in first or else they're continuing to go on with the harm and right. you can't bond. That's it, that right. Hey, yep. 
that's a good way of putting it. Yes, that's okay. exactly and right. I think, I think that's important too, because I think there's people that are going to be listening here and they're going to be thinking, okay, well, my partner's had an affair. So, oh, does that mean we shouldn't have been starting couples therapy? But it sounds like there's some differences here. And, and depending on yes. what has happened, that would mean therapy was started at a different time. Right. Ab okay. Right. A absolutely. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So go ahead. So what do you think are, you mentioned there might be some common mistakes that therapists make when they're dealing with betrayal trauma. Yeah. What do you think are some of those mistakes you see? Um, so I'd say some of the most cut, like if, if you don't understand out of control sexual behaviors, right, or sexual addictions, and uh, a couple comes to you and this is going on, some of the things that I've heard that have been really quite hurtful to the partner are things like, well, you might want to try sexier lingerie or, yeah, or maybe some more role plays, um, maybe do something about your sex drive, see your OBGYN to find out if there are any problems because you're not feeling like you can keep up sex drive. Like I have, sadly, I laugh because of the absurdity of, of that recommendation, if you really understand the behavior, it has nothing to do with the betrayed partner. Nothing. Oh, it is not the, the fault. And, and that's what can happen is oh. the betrayed partner can at times get blamed. I had one person who had come to me uh, who, was who was told because her husband did have a trauma history when he was growing up. That's true. But she was told as the betrayed partner that she needed to create an atmosphere for him at home where he felt completely safe to be himself and that that was the problem. It is never the problem of the betrayed partner. So any message that people get given that somehow it's their fault is completely false, completely false. So that those are the biggest mistakes. Um, uh, another one is to too quickly emphasize the betrayed partner's history, and that's why you feel so traumatized is because of the way you grew up. No. Uh, yeah, that, <laughs> right? that sounds like Absolute, a big no. Absolutely not. This is traumatizing regardless of what that person's history is. Yes. Right. Yes. So, it, it, so, right. But you could see how a therapist could accidentally start to talk about their childhood. Granted, if, if you have a traumatic history, it's going to make it worse, but it's not the cause. No. Right, right. I, so I imagine a scenario where it might be like, maybe this is activating it more, maybe like down the line, maybe. Maybe. But I think it's maybe. a delicate line between thinking about how it's making it worse versus a right. fault finding, like how you influenced it kind of thing. It, exactly. Right. I mean, it, it, it has an impact on recovery yeah. because if you already came from a family where there, let's say there was sexual abuse and then this thing happens, it's like, 
you know, it's like you're getting punched in the gut a couple of times. But uh, yeah, you cannot emphasize the patient's history at the beginning. You've got to deal with what is going on in the here and now when you were first seeing that person. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if couples are getting started, the person who's done the right. betraying has got some treatment, they're getting started in therapy. What does the couple's recovery process begin to look like? Well, um, so, you know, like we were just talking about before, I mean, the first part is, you know, disclosure and you're, you're doing that. And that, I mean, that's not small. So you're going through that and then you're engaging in couples therapy. You're, the beginning is really developing empathy for the betrayed partner. That is the beginning, is to help the, we'll say the, the addicted partner really learn to feel and express real empathy for what that person's been through. That's really the beginning of treatment. Right? And for them to be able to learn how to talk about their fears and worries with each other, how they get derailed, right? From a schema perspective, um, what kinds of mode clashes are coming up, right? So in other words, like EFT talks about who tends to withdraw, who tends to pursue. So you're going to start to really work on some of these attachment issues because people with these kinds of disorders come from families where really healthy, sturdy attachments were impossible. Right? That's the origin. So that's going to get worked on in the relationship. You want to, right, we're starting to work on the restoration of intimacy between the couple. And I don't mean sex. I mean closeness. And that takes a while, considering how profound the betrayal is. When you say a while, do you have a sense of how long a while is? Are we talking months, weeks, years? Um, I don't, I don't want to generalize. So with, uh, I, I, I've, I work with a couple and they're in their twenties for them, six, eight months, they were really on solid ground at that point, but the behaviors hadn't gone on that long. They were young. They didn't have a lot of history behind them. So that worked out really well for somebody who's got a 20 year history of having burner phones buried in the backyard and having lots of affairs and sex work and all these things over that period of time, it can take a couple of years to start to feel like life is normal again. So I don't, I don't mean to be discouraging by saying that, but I just want to be realistic to listeners. It, it, now, that doesn't mean you don't feel better, start to feel better within six months. You do, but life will feel normal again a year or two later, usually. Yeah, and I think a common thing that I see is people get frustrated a few months in and they're like, why don't I feel better yet? Why don't we yeah. feel better yet? And it's only been a very yeah. short amount of time. And 
yeah. whether it's eight months or many years, I think the underlying message here is it takes time to heal this. Yeah, even it does. And, and the longer it's gone on, not always, but chances are the longer it's gone on, the longer it will take to heal. That's well. right. That's right. Um, now, the, the one thing I do want to tell listeners is if, if their partner is, is going in this and they think that there's, there was enough there to save in the relationship, that there were many good things, sometimes and oftentimes I've seen you end up in the end with a better relationship than you ever had because you didn't know these things were going on. They were always a little bit detached. And now all of a sudden you have a partner that you have real intimacy with, good communication, right? Um, healthy partnership in parenting children. So you can really end up with a great relationship. So, and I've seen that many, many times. I think that makes sense. Like if you're talking about a partner who's willing to take responsibility, demonstrate change, yeah. become very empathetic, listen, become willing to tune in and hear the pain of their That's partner, right. become a really good listener. You're going to learn communication skills you never even knew before yep. because you've never had to talk in that kind of a way before. That's right. That's, wow. that's exactly right. Yeah. Um, you know, there, it might be worth, uh, just a little consideration about kids. I know we didn't, uh, yes. Talk about the kids touch, touch on this because it depends on the family. Now it is best if the children don't know that the ch it is best to keep this from the kids. The reason is not to protect the offending partner. It's not to protect them. It's really to protect the children, right? They're in the middle of development. They are developing sexually themselves. They can easily internalize distorted ideas about sexuality and about selves as sexual beings. Um, so keeping this from the children is helpful. And it doesn't mean in adulthood that you might not tell them, but not while they're still, you know, between one and 20, one and 20. Uh, now, if the children do know, if the partner is so distraught, right, was so shocked, or it happened in such a way that the kids found out, I highly recommend some family therapy for the same reasons, um, to help the kids be able to talk about this, right? This is going to be extremely distressing if they had a parent that has this behavior, right? They're going to take on shame that this is another component, which is different than um, other kinds of addictions. Partners often take on the shame that really belongs with the betraying partner, right? They feel ashamed of staying in the relationship, if you know what I mean. Yeah, so like little kids going to family therapy, I imagine yeah. there's not a lot of, I, I, I'm sure there are many therapists that know how to yeah. deal with this, but not a lot of therapists that actually do. And so I'm wondering if you mm -hmm. were 
a family member seeking out a family therapist, do you have any suggestions of questions you might want to ask to see if that therapist is qualified to handle the situation with your family? Yeah. Uh, the main question is, you know, are you trained in treating compulsive sexual behaviors, right? Uh, out of control sexual disorders. If, because if they're not, they're not going to really understand what's going on. And again, you, you don't want to do more damage, right? You want to do more good than harm. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So we've so, talked a lot about betrayal trauma here in many different yeah. areas. Is there anything that you want to highlight, summarize, or come or a different direction you want to bring our attention to? I, I don't think so. I, I, you know, I'd, I'd say if I had some parting words for anyone who's listening, who might be going through this or knows someone who's going through this, um, seek out one, seek out a counselor who goes under this model of betrayal trauma, as opposed to other more traditional addiction models, which is enabling, right? Al-Anon has this idea of enabling the addicted person. This is not that. This is very, very different, right? You didn't know. This has nothing to do with enabling anything. So someone who really goes under the betrayal trauma model, um, know that there is nothing about what's happened to you that is your fault, absolutely nothing. Uh, and going into treatment for yourself uh, is probably the best thing you can do. And if you do decide to stay in the relationship, right, there is hope that you could have still a great relationship if there's enough there and he's doing his work so i think those are great words and hopeful words yeah Yeah. there's there's a lot of hope there i mean i've seen so many people recover so many marriages recover so i think that's probably that's probably it oh well thank you so much for taking us through the impact and, and understanding the difference between just infidelity something that's happened yeah. once or, or twice versus yeah. a compulsive serial be- sexual behavior that, that there's a different impact there that we want to be aware of and, and how recovery looks different under those different circumstances and that this can go yeah. on for a long time and what treatment could look like and what, when, when to start couples therapy and even what to do if your children have found out, like there's just so much there that I think many people just, they're not, they're not sure what to do if they find themselves in a situation right. like this. No idea. Right. Right. Um, you know, and there's, um, there's a great book out there by uh, Vicki Tidwell, Moving Beyond Betrayal by Vicki Tidwell Palmer is a wonderful book for betrayed partners. Um, so that's where I'd start with reading. Uh, a lot of the treatment programs that treat people with out-of-control sexual behaviors have tracks for betrayed partners. You can do weekends. You can go stay for a week. Um, the Meadows, Keystone, uh, lots of different programs have places where you can go and heal too. 
So I think that's pretty important. Yes, absolutely. So thank you for that reading start. Sure. Treatment ideas. Uh, Liz, you are just a wealth of knowledge that <laughs> each time I talk to you, I just feel very grateful that I've had the opportunity to, to hear from you, learn from you, understand things better. I come away as a person and a clinician with just such a, a deeper knowledge of things. And I really feel I get so much out of this. So I can only imagine Aww. that people listening do. So Thank you Thank so, you. so, so much. And if people want to learn more about you or access some of your other resources, where can they follow you or find you? Ah, they can find me at www.elizabethlacy.com. And uh, in, in fact, uh, someone else you had on your show and I are going to be doing a two-hour uh, webinar on betrayal trauma this summer. So... You can look for us. Wendy Bahari and I are going to be doing yeah. that together. Yeah. Yes. I can imagine the two of you together doing something like this would be wonderful and very, very helpful. Yeah. If, all, to all the listeners out there, the two most downloaded episodes I have are the previous one by Liz Lacey, which I will link, and the episode by Wendy Bahari. Those are the two most listened to <laughs> episodes on the show. So it's wonderful that you two are doing something together. Yeah, we're so. going to do that. Yeah. Thank you for tuning in to Relationship Psych, the podcast put on by Ember Relationship Psychology. If you're looking for more free relationship help or advice that comes straight from the couple's therapy room, check out the free resources and the blog at www.emberrelationshippsychology.com.